This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be here once again after a little bit of time off. Thanks so much for joining me today. We're going to talk plenty about the Winter Classic yesterday, talk plenty about the 13 games on the go around the NHL this evening, and we'll talk about the PWHL debut yesterday at Madame Athletic Centre. But the very latest news, shockwaves across the hockey world. Canada is out at the World Juniors. Yes, they lose their quarterfinal matchup against Czechia by a final score of 3-2. to two. And you know what I have to give it up to? And I really have to give props to, well, certainly, uh, all those athletes, uh, at uh, the, the Czechia athletes who, uh, who stuck at the Team Canada. We're going to get to Michael Rabel here in a couple of seconds. But i got to give it up to someone that I am always shy to give praise to, but I will, and that is Mark Seidel. Now, Mark Seidel is the uh, chief scout for North American Central Scouting. And in the Sudbury Star... In his uh, pre-tournament analysis or preview of the U-20s for this year, Mark Seidel, going through all the different teams, writes this. Team Canada uh, forecast. For the first time in a long time, I'm not overly confident in Canada's ability to bring home the gold medal. They lack real offensive depth. Their defensive group is solid but not spectacular, and they have unproven goaltending, which is a concern. Anything can happen once teams get to the quarterfinals, but those concerns lead me to believe that Canada will miss meddling for the first time since 2019 and does add, before we convene another summit to find out what's wrong with Canadian hockey, people should remember Canada is eligible to have Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Shane Wright, Zach Benson, Kevin Korczynski on the roster, but there are NHL teams shut down the idea. Now, that is just one part of it. Okay, so saying that, okay, yeah, you know what? Canada won't medal this year. They may not have it. Um, he says this about Czechia. This one's interesting. Team Czechia forecast. The Czechs have one of my favorite goalie prospects in the world with the massive Michael Harabel. Canadian fans will know this name all too well. Arizona, you have a good one. Who's an Arizona Coyote second rounder last year and can steal some games on road to on the road to a medal. They also have some stars and some depth, many of whom pushed Canada to overtime in last year's gold medal game, so they have a legitimate shot at the podium again. Well done, Mark Seidel. Uh, you nailed not just Canada, but also uh, identified Michael Harabel uh, and also identified the Czechs as a team who could upset. Uh, and certainly they did. Um, Michael Harabel, just so you know, uh, six foot six netminder for Czechia, um, second round draft pick of the Arizona Coyotes, plays at UMass. He is, for my money, one of the best goaltending prospects that is out there right now. I mentioned a second ago the Arizona Coyotes have a good one. And at six foot six, if I may borrow one of my favorite Brian Burke lines, he has a part time job as a wall. He's real good. We'll see how far he can take uh, Czechia in this tournament. Uh, in the meantime, Seattle shutting out Vegas uh, at home at the Winter Classic yesterday. And also, we saw the debut of the long-awaited PWHL, uh, uh, Team New York beating Team Toronto, or PWHL New York beats PWHL Toronto yesterday at Madame Athletic Centre. There to call it and be part of the entire festivities uh, is in the bestie spot today, and that is Haley Salvian from Sportsnet and The Athletic. How are you, Haley? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing real good. You have a, a quick thought on the crumbling of Canada now that they're out of the uh, of medal contention, <laughs> losing to Czechia in the quarterfinals. Do we convene the summit, Haley? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know what? 
the fact that they were going into this tournament and people were saying, you know, maybe Canada could three-peat. Like, I don't think, like, they just won back-to-back. I don't think yeah. it's time for a summit yet. Um, <laughs> and, but, yeah, I mean, it was kind of wild. We were watching that game, and I've got US, USA Latvia on right now. We were watching it, and yep. um, I, obviously it's going to be dramatic for Canada to lose in any fashion, but for it to come with 11 seconds left in the game was was pretty wild. (laughs) And and I've got to say, you know, I wasn't as locked in on the World Juniors this year. I feel like I haven't locked in Mm -hmm. uh, on it as much over the last few years for probably a variety of reasons. Um, But I've seen some people saying, you know, maybe it's time for Team Canada to start taking, like, all the best players instead of just guys who, like, play the right way. And I think that's an interesting conversation because it seems like this year they left some – some players at home that, that were really good and yeah. junior, wherever it was they were playing. So maybe it's like a roster construction yeah. thing. But I also think these teams can't really be an all-star game. It's the same thing at the Olympics for women's hockey specifically. I mean, we see it on the men's side too. You know, it, the debate every year, it seemed like we were having of like, should Tom Wilson be on the Olympic team because he plays a certain way or should we take somebody who scored like 90 yeah. points last season? So it'll be interesting to see yeah. – um, you know, kind of the debrief from people who are way smarter about World Juniors than I am, but it was uh, certainly dramatic. Well, and now the Americans are up 3-1, so that'll be fun oh, yeah. for well, a, 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 all of our enemies. Let me... Let me uh, let me pull a couple of things out of there. One, as you mentioned, uh, the Americans leading Latvia right now, and I, I still maintain, and we saw it again this tournament, Latvians have the best fans in the world, period. Yeah. It doesn't matter what happens with their team. They go and they celebrate and they have a good time. They are the best hockey fans in the world, period. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Canada. Sorry, U.S. Sorry, Sweden. Sorry, whomever. Uh, the Latvians have everybody beat. But uh, about the United States, like I always go into this tournament and I say, okay, who's got the best 19-year-olds? And generally, that's the team that wins. Pretty much always, that's the team that wins. And the team that has the best collection of 19-year-olds this year, sorry, everybody else, is the United States. Like, they are a powerhouse. They're a powerhouse now. They're like, let's not even talk about them as an emerging powerhouse. Like, Mm -hmm. they're a powerhouse now, and they've been a powerhouse for quite some time. Um, As for, uh, you know, as for, um, uh, as for Canada... Um, I think this is one of those situations where, to your point about roster construction, it seemed for a while, and I don't know where it changed, it seemed for a while that with Hockey Canada, they were very much of the belief that skill adapts. And all you do is you go out and you bring the best collection of skilled players together and you put them in different roles and you have to assume that since they are the highest skilled players in the world, that they can adapt to any role you give them. And Mm -hmm. Canada really did well by that for the longest, the longest time. Like we saw this in Olympics after Olympics. And somewhere, like to your point, it seems they've sort of gotten away from that and going back to this idea of this is what your third line has to do and this is what your fourth line has to do. And I don't know, they seem to do really well when they just followed the motto, skill adapts. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I mean, we see it on the, the the women's national team too. I think there's always players who come out of college. You know, I think of somebody like a Daryl Watts or an Elizabeth Shaguer, yep. um, Lauren, Lauren Gable. Like, those are three Patty Kazmaier winners for College Player of the Year, and they have been on the outside looking into the national team because while they were point producers in college and, you know, very productive players at that point, like, Team Canada doesn't need them to be the top-line center or top-line left wing because they've got Marissa Litsuen. So it's like, how are you going to adapt your game to be on the third line? And yeah. sometimes players just can't do it. 
So it'll be interesting to see. I think my colleague, uh, Dom Luce-Chishin at The Athletic, had an interesting story that just came out this morning um, because they were looking at, you know, more looking at the senior men's level of, you know, what Mm -hmm. a Team USA would look like or what a Team Canada would look like in a best-on-best if there's a World Cup in 2025. And just the fact that the Americans are kind of becoming the team to beat when it comes to projecting a best-on-best tournament, right? And I think you could trace some of that back to how good these um, younger American rosters have been in the World Juniors. They haven't always beat Canada. Um, Obviously, Team USA has a couple World Junior Championships over the last few years, some U18 championships. I think you can trace some of this back to... Um, the success of the U.S. NTDP and the USHL. So it, it just seems like when it's coming to, like, developing stars, the U.S. is not just catching up but starting to take over a little bit. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's Yeah, objective. like... I'm, I'm, I'm talking, like, planning the summit now here, too, even though I said don't do it. But I think we've got to look <laughs> at, you know, hockey's Canada's game, da-da-da. But, you know, the Americans look pretty good. That sucks for us. The... Well, well, one sort of closing thought on, on this one before we get to the PWHL, too, and, and picking up on the point that you're just making. You know, one of the things that we've always noticed about American uh, American hockey is hockey, as far as, you know, the, the, more the ladder goes. Sorry. Well, okay, there there is that. Um, but, you know, when, when you look at American hockey athletes, um, generally in the United States, hockey is well down the ladder of choices. And always, you know, the top athletes will choose football or basketball or track and field or baseball or, or whatever. And hockey sure. sort of lower down the rung. But yeah. I think the scary thing for everybody else in the world, and listen, you saw this with Austin Matthews, who could have played football as well. It's, right. And I've always said this, it's going to get really scary when the top American athletes choose hockey first. And you're starting to yeah. see that. They have the programs, they have the infrastructure, they have the money. Uh, right now it's 4-1 to one United States. They've just added one over Latvia. They have a lot of things going for them. Oh, and man. they have I'm the young, young elite athletes. Oh, sorry. Spoiler, 4-1 to one U.S. <laughs> Spoiler, U.S. is going to beat Latvia. Sorry, Haley, you had to find out this way. Um <laughs> rude, Merrick. Rude, mm-hmm. and that's that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing the, the the highest level of athlete choosing hockey first. That is frightening for everybody else in the world, Haley. Yeah, that's a good point. Like as you say, it's not been a priority for a lot of these elite athletes to be hockey yeah. players. And what happens if they start doing that? I mean, obviously there are a ton of elite athletes who have chosen hockey. When we're looking at Austin Matthews, you know the Hughes yep. brothers, all three of them. There's just there's so much talent and to my point you know I say it half jokingly but I do feel like all these players are are pretty fun obviously Connor Bedard is is really fun to watch but some of these young guys like Trevor Zegras it's just a different vibe around them um so yeah as a Canadian it's tough tough to watch but new competition. There's a new. There's a, yeah. an, an, another another shark in the water. Okay. Yeah. Let's get to uh, the first game of the PWHL that we saw yesterday. You were part of it. Mm-hmm. Before we sort of go over what happened in the the four nothing win, uh, New York over Toronto, and Ella Shelton making history uh, in mm-hmm. the process. Uh, Kareen Schroeder as well with the shout out makes history in the process. Yeah. Like it was a day that I'm sure mm-hmm. that when you're heading to the Madame Athletic Center yesterday, Haley, you're saying to yourself, no matter what happens, I am going to witness history. What what were you thinking heading to the Madame Athletic Center yesterday? I was thinking of so many of these women that I have talked to and like spent time with and covered over these last 
I guess, five years. So I've been at The Athletic for over five years now. And when I first started, I was doing a little bit of Marley's and I was doing some women's hockey, some women's hoops, you know, did a key nurse story, things like that. And um, I was thinking the first story I ever wrote on women's hockey and the first person I ever interviewed in women's hockey was Liz Knox. Um, And so I was thinking of her and thinking of all those players on the Markham Thunder. And the first story I did was about... Um, you know, the CWHL is a women's pro league, but all these players have full-time jobs. Like, here's what they have to do as well. And I inter- and I spoke to everyone on the Thunder and asked, like, what's your day job? And uh, Liz Knox, I think at the time, was working in construction. And she was in um, school. She was training to do, like, volunteer firefighting. So she would get up at, yep. like, 5 in the morning, go to CrossFit, then go to work. Sometimes she'd take a nap in her truck, then she'd go to practice. And so I was thinking of, of, of those women and the fact that, you know, Liz isn't playing anymore, but she's been such a huge part of the PWHPA, which is now the Professional Women's Hockey League Players Association. Um, and so I was thinking of her as someone who maybe doesn't get to be on the ice and kind of enjoy that moment, but somebody who really laid the groundwork for a lot of this. I was thinking about the history um, and, you know, Jaina Heffer dropped the puck and it looked like she was very overcome with emotion. So it, I was just thinking oh, yeah. about everything that these women have been through. Like, I felt a little bit emotional during the puck drop because I've been to women's hockey games before. I've covered the PHF. I've covered the CWHL. I've seen all these different eras of women's hockey. And this just felt different and special in a long time coming. And it was, you know, it's been really cool to be able to kind of watch all of this grow and um like i said it just feels different this time and and i feel really optimistic Mm -hmm. and excited for the future of women's professional hockey i'll tell you one of the things like like i'm with you on 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 just about all of that Haley. one of the things that i thought about yesterday before the game and i was on my way back from seattle for the for the winter classic one of the things that i thought about was we're at the beginning of the end of a negative narrative, and that is, mm-hmm. oh, you know what? Well, women's hockey is only at the you know minor midget level for boys. And yeah. what I, th- I kept thinking to myself is, what I kept thinking is, now we're going to finally start to get an answer to a question yeah. which we've, I think, most people who have followed the game have wondered about for a long time, and that is, how good can women be at this sport? Totally. How good, because right now, to your point about, you know, Liz Knox has to, you know, juggle a couple of different things and, you know, uh, get her kettlebell, kettlebell swings in at five o'clock in the morning and then you get, get to class and have a nap and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, yeah. now we're going to really start to find out now that this is a job for these athletes, just how totally. good they can be. And we can start to end the narrative about, well, they're only at this level compared to the boys. I couldn't help but thinking that yesterday as I was watching the beginnings of uh, of the game. This is the beginning of the end of that story, and now we're going to finally start to get an answer. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, totally. I think, like, how good would... And, and it's not just about the stars, too. Like, I think of a Mary Philippe Poulain, who's been the best player in the world for a really long time. She hasn't had a full-time place to play for, like, four years. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if Connor McDavid was just sitting at home and playing every few weeks, like it's crazy. We, she hasn't been able to play like how much better would the best player in the world be if she was playing a 24, 32, 40 game season, right? Like in, in training more. And if Poulin, I mean, Poulin is a full-time athlete. She's not one of the ones working 
um, a full-time job off to the side, but how much better would she be? And I think it's re- we're really going to see the way that impacts the top uh, the top tier player, but it's also going to be huge for that like middle mm-hmm. round or the bubble players who are just outside the national team because they're the ones who are going to get to not just play full time, but get to play full time in a best on best environment, right? Like they're not uh, playing in college. They're not in the yeah. CWHL or the PWHPA or the PHF. Like they are training with Poulin and Hillary Knight, playing against um, Poulin and Hillary Knight. Like that's just going to raise the level for everybody and I feel like I use this anecdote all the time but every time I use it it's like even further and further into the past so like over a decade ago now Haley Wickenheiser at that when we laugh about the the summit there was a summit in 2010 after the Olympics and it was like Canada and U.S. keep like beating everyone it's always them in the gold medal game what are we going to do and she stood up and said we need a best on best pro league where all the best players in the world can play against each other on a daily basis because then we are all going to benefit from that instead of the canadians being in their hub where they get all the best resources and the americans being in their hub and getting all the best resources and then the other national teams not getting as much from their governing bodies. Let's get everyone in one place and we're all going to get better for it. And now we're finally going to see that. And and the game is from the international level to the pro level. um, It's just going to keep, keep growing. So I'm with you. I think we're, we're going to see a a totally new level of this game like now and, and in the future because of this. Yeah. And there's, there's like, to your point, there's still a lot of great players to come uh, in this league as well. There's a lot of, and I think of, well, I think of Finland specifically, where there's some elite level players that are still locked into contracts, so they can't come yeah. uh, to oh, play I in this league yet. But those be. contracts are up. Right. And that's, and, you know, I, th- I think, I think almost all those contracts are up at the end of this season. And so we'll see who decides to, to make mm-hmm. the jump. I would imagine the lion's share of them would. And so that's one of the things we'll keep our eyes on. You know, I wondered yeah. about, it's funny too, because I thought about Sarah Fillier as well. And, you know, yeah. she's sort of like the next big Canadian star. And interestingly enough, she's playing wing now at Princeton. And there's a lot of speculation. Does that mean that they're going to move Sarah Nurse to the middle on the national team? Or is she going to mean she's going to play on the wing with Marie-Philippe Poulain? Yeah, like there's all all those questions. But I thought about her as well and like what she's Mm -hmm. able to step into now and just how good uh, she's going to become because she doesn't have to get another job. She can walk into this league and that is her job. It's my it's not my hockey job. It's my job. I play hockey. Yeah. Yeah, and she's going to be one of those kind of rare players who doesn't really need to deal with all of the stuff that the older generation has dealt with, right? She gets to graduate, get a good good degree, she gets to play at Princeton, and then she gets to be the first overall pick in the PWHL draft and step in and excel in year two. Um, And I I think the league is (laughs) going to be good this year, but it's going to, I just, there's so much talent in women's college hockey right now, like, I am the biggest Abby Murphy fan in the world. Again, we're talking about Americans here. Um, She's just so fun to watch, and she's got another year of college after this one. Mm -hmm. Caroline Harvey, Layla Edwards, there's so much skill in women's college hockey, and they're all going to be in this league when they graduate. And I think the league's going to be better for it and hopefully continue to grow because there's going to be, you know, more players than, than six roster spots can can hold but it's just a really exciting time for for the sport yeah what'd you make of game one and uh ellis shelton making history i thought it was great um i 
don't think I would have predicted that Ella would get the first goal. I think I was, um, mm-hmm. we, like some of the broadcasters, uh, we were trying to, you know, oh, should we make bets? Like, who's going to score first? And I was trying to be cute. I was like, I'm going to go with Jessie Comper. You know, I like the way she plays. She's very, I thought, I, I expected yeah. the game was going to be really physical because they hired these refs from the American Hockey League and they made it a lot more explicit, like call the checking rules by the book. Like there should be no gray area because body checking, despite what people want to say, is legal in women's hockey. It's just called so poorly. Yeah. Like you are allowed to make contact with another player if it's to, you know, get control of the puck there's just no open ice hits and no interference, which, you know, whatever, fine. So I really, I expected the game to be physical because that was important to the league and the players that they are allowed to just play. Um, And so I thought Jesse Comper would really benefit from that because she is just such a disturber (laughs) on the ice. Um, But I thought Ella Shelton, I thought it was great. Ella Shelton's one of those players that I think is really going to thrive and and make a different name for herself in a league like this, the team Canada. She's kind of behind um, the Renata Fast, Jocelyn LaRock, Aaron Ambrose. Doesn't get as much um, time in all situations, but, you know, she's an excellent player. She's got a bomb of a shot from the point. So it shouldn't be a shock that it was Ella Shelton because she's got, you know, such good offensive instincts and the pinch down um, getting that shot through traffic past Kristen Campbell was great. So I, I thought it was a great game. I think um, I wasn't surprised by the final score. Kareen Schroeder should absolutely be on the national team to come in in a game against the goalie who's essentially been picked as the number three for Team Canada over you in front of the Team Canada yeah. GM and Team Canada coach. The first ever game, you're on enemy territory. And to come in and play as well as she did and pitch the shutout, uh, 29 saves. Uh, she was dialed in, and she's such an elite goalie, and she's somebody that people should should know. Um, I think when she was in college, she had a game where she saved like 73 shots for a shutout or something. I don't have oh, the stat right in front of, of me. Oh, like she had one of those crazy games, and and she's she's a big goalie. She's 5'11", uh, and she's very technically sound and a very good puck tracker. So she's one of those mm-hmm. annoying goalies where the puck just hits her all the time. And it's because she's so good at the position that, like, it's not That's by okay. mistake, right? So uh, I thought she was unbelievable. And I think I think New York, and I, we talked about this, and I think my original prediction on your show was like, oh, I'll, I'll pick, like, Boston or Montreal in the final. But I, I really do think now that I've looked more at the rosters and now that they're finalized, I think New York is going to be one of the teams to beat this year. Um, on the Athletic Hockey mm. Show, we all made predictions about who we thought was going to win, and I – and I put my more official stamp on on picking New York. I just think they have a ton of depth. We saw that yesterday. They get goals from their top defender, goals from their top line, goals from their bottom six, um, and that was by design. I thought the GM Pascal Daou did a really good job, you know, building a roster that would have four scoring lines and, and defense who can provide offense, and they've got stellar goaltending. So I thought New York looked great. I think they're going to be one of the teams to beat. Uh, and Toronto looked, I think, a little bit nervous. Early on, there was a lot of energy, a lot of emotions. Yeah. Um, and I thought they really struggled um, without Jocelyn LaRock and Renata Fast on the ice. I thought they struggled to get the puck out of the D zone and transition to offense. So that's something that they're probably going to have to work on. And there were so many times, was like, just shoot the puck. Like, you don't have to get too cute. I know this is an exciting day. You want to show up for your fans. But just shoot the puck. Get pucks on net. Get a gritty one. It's a one nothing game. You could have mm-hmm. gotten into it and... 
And, you know, they played well in the second period, and then New York uh, scored three goals within, like, five minutes in the third, and it was and it was over. So I thought it was a great day. I thought it was good hockey. Uh, New York looked great, which shouldn't be unexpected. So a lot to like yeah. yesterday. Uh, just watching video now, the uh, PWHL Boston team has just released uh, the video of them announcing their leadership group. Uh, surprise, surprise, Hillary Knight is the captain. Uh, Jamie oh. Lee Rattray gets the A as well. Rat scores, rat I scores. And uh, Megan Keller is an alternate captain as well. So cool. Knight, Rattray, and Keller uh, for Boston, Haley Salvian. No surprises there. No, not at all. And I think that Jamie Lee Rattray is one of the assistants or the alternates, excuse me, is Yep. is great. Um, I think a lot of people were hoping that she would go to Ottawa. She's a local player. would have been really, really cool to see her, um, you know, be one of the kind of stars of that Ottawa franchise, especially since it seems like that team is going to do so well. Um, they're probably, and they are expected to break a record for the most uh, attended women's professional hockey game tonight when they play against Montreal in their home opener. Um, but Rattray's awesome. Like, she's the She's the Swiss Army knife we see on Team Canada. Like she, it was in the World Championships last year. It was like what a t- nine-round sh- uh, shootout, and she's the one that gets the winner after playing minimal minutes during um, regulation. Like she can just, you can put her anywhere, and she's going to thrive, and she's not going to complain. Uh, so she's another one of those players. I'm excited to see her get her flowers in the league like this. So people forget because she plays like ten minutes or nine minutes with Team Canada. People forget she was a National Player of the Year in college. And, you know, she was the captain of the Mark and Thunder, and and she was, you know, a stud throughout her career. And just because she's a debt player with Team Canada doesn't mean she's not, doesn't have the ability to be a star. And I was talking to Alina Mueller in Utica, and she told me um, it was Jamie Lee Rattray who hosted American Thanksgiving in Boston for all the teammates who didn't have anywhere to go. Like, so American Thanksgiving, a lot of players went home went to go see their families, you know, have the turkey, whatever, go watch football with, with their families. And then Rattray had everyone over, made a turkey, and said, like, you know, you guys are all welcome to come to my house if you have nowhere to go for the holiday. And, like, this is a Canadian who's mm. in Boston for the first time, and, and she's the one who's, you know, taking that step and saying, all right, like, I've, I got the turkey, like, bring some sides, let's go. And Alina Mueller told me, <laughs> if you could create – the perfect teammate in a lab. It would spit out Jamie Lee Rattray. So no shock at all. Like, obviously, Hillary Knight's Captain America. She's great. Megan Keller, yeah. uh, one of the coaches in the league, told me like probably the best signing in this league was Megan Keller by Boston because she's just you know offensively dynamic, great defender, physical, mean, hard to play against. They're like, that is going to be one of the best signings anybody made. Um, but Jamie Lee Rattray mm-hmm. is an assistant um, is no shock to me after what Alina Mueller told me about her. That is going to be a good team. That is going to be a really, really good team, Boston. That is a juggernaut squad. Um, Listen, looking forward to Game 2 tonight. It is uh, Montreal traveling to Ottawa, Game 2 of the PWHL season. Very much look forward to it. Um, Next time we'll get into more NHL stuff. But, like, yesterday was just such a uh, humongous day. Uh, I know, right? Yesterday was so humongous for the PWHL. So happy for everybody. And as I keep pointing out to everybody... The better that women's hockey does, the better the sport grows, the better it is for everybody. So even if you don't support it or don't like it or meh, 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 ultimately, if you're a fan of hockey, this is good for you. And if you're not Mm going to support it, then at least just get out of the way. 
Um, Haley, always a pleasure. You be well. Thank you. I've got to say the only things I know about the Winter Classic from last night was that they were throwing fish yeah. during the player intros and that Joey Decord <laughs> play well. So I'm glad we didn't talk about it. So just be like, what kind of fish Joey Decord? we talk about? We talk about the fish throwers for like ten minutes, and then I'd, everyone would hate me. So. And, Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> and and the, the, the Golden Knights dressed like Elvis coming off the bus, so that was a nice touch as yeah. well. But yeah, Seattle did a great job yesterday, and everything looked fantastic. And you're right, Joey Decord was outstanding uh, yesterday yeah. uh, in a signature moment in his young career, of course. Uh, listen, Haley, thank you as always. We'll touch base soon. Okay, thanks, Jeff. See ya. All right, there she is, the great Heli Salvian from Sportsnet and uh, The Athletic as well, and something to pass along your way. This is, this is interesting. I don't think it should come as any surprise to anybody, but nonetheless, when you, know, you have the audio captured, and we'll wait to hear from it here, uh, NHL player safety this morning, just before we went on the air, uh, Minnesota's Ryan Hartman. By the way, Minnesota and Winnipeg just had a weekend for the ages. I'm going to get to that in a second here. Minnesota's Ryan Hartman has been fined $4,427.08, the maximum allowable under the CBA for high-sticking Winnipeg's Cole Perfetti. So you get the note and you say to yourself, oh, yeah, okay, I can see that. We saw what the weekend brought and how nasty and violent it was between Minnesota and Winnipeg. And just as an aside... Since Winnipeg joined the NHL coming over from Atlanta, V2.0, at times this has been a real nasty rivalry between these two teams. And given the weekend that they just had, and congratulations to the Winnipeg Jets for sweeping the two games, uh, and they looked fantastic in the process, it was nasty. That was a nasty weekend for these two teams. And this from Mike McIntyre, uh, who covers the, uh, the Winnipeg Jets for the Winnipeg News. This is a tweet that he just sent out. Wow, Minnesota Wild forward Ryan Hartman flat out told Cole Perfetti he deliberately high-sticked him in the face as payback for the Brendan Dillon Kirill Kaprizov play a day earlier, citing the source, Cole Perfetti just now, and the microphone he was wearing in the game that caught it all. Another sidebar to this rivalry between the Minnesota Wild and the Winnipeg Jets. Things continue to be nasty between Winnipeg and Minnesota. You know, we always talk about rivalries that are lost in the NHL. Boston and the New York Rangers. Maybe we get that back. Maybe we get that back in the playoffs. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings and the Montreal Canadiens. How about a new rivalry here? Well, not really new, but a consistent, sustained, heated, nasty rivalry. Minnesota and Winnipeg. And now, oh, it's 5-1 to one USA, by the way, over Latvia. Listen, USA is going to win this thing, folks. Uh, the sooner you realize it, the better off you'll be. Uh, disappointing loss for Canada over Czechia in the quarterfinals. But, again, this is a tournament where the team that has the best collection of 19-year-olds wins. And this year, the best collection of 19-year-old hockey players reside in the United States of America. They know hockey. They play hockey well. It is a hockey powerhouse. Over to you, Canada. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get on the uh, NHL page here in a couple of moments, and we'll focus on goaltenders as well. Carter Hutton is going to stop by the program to talk about uh, goalies around the NHL. Also, coming up in the second hour, we'll talk to Ian Mendez from The Athletic about the situation with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, since we last joined you, uh, Steve Steos uh, has cemented and uh, confirmed a position as general manager of the Ottawa Senators. Dave Poulin joins the mix, and Ryan Bonus. Uh, as an associate general manager as well. So we'll get to all that with Ian Mendez. Also, 
You'll hear my interview with Ron Francis from Seattle, Kraken general manager, and also the interview that Elliot and I did with Jack Eichel of the Vegas Golden Knights a day before the Winter Classic. So you'll hear that as well. Lots to get to. Carter Hutton on goaltenders around the NHL next as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Hutton's next. Keep it here. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. By the way, uh, for those of you keeping track of this uh, Minnesota-Winnipeg situation with uh, Ryan Hartman and Cole Perfetti, next game between these two teams, February the 20th. So circle your calendars and conduct yourself appropriately. Uh, we'll talk about the Ottawa situation um, with some positions getting cemented over the weekend with Ian Mendez coming up in hour two. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the story of the year has been goaltenders. Maybe the story of the year has been backup netminders around the NHL or third goaltenders uh, in the NHL as well. Um, for more on this story and a look around the, uh, the netminders around the NHL is someone who plied his trade in the NHL uh, for 234 games. He is Carter Hutton. He joins me now. Carter, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Obviously excited to come on and chat. And uh, it's been a hot topic this year. That's yeah. for sure. Well, it's, so it's funny just, too, because I, I was mentioning this on the, on the, oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Yeah. It's just, it's honestly seems like every team is in need of it. And you talk about some teams that are Stanley cup contenders and it's been, uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind yep. here and you definitely start to understand why depth is so important in a system. It's really true. And I was having this conversation with someone last week. Uh, this is someone with an NHL team, and we were talking about MVPs. And this person said to me point blank, he said, you know, we can talk about Kucherov and we can talk about Artemi Panarin and what Connor McDavid uh, is doing and can he catch those guys, etc. He goes, you know who the real MVPs of the league are this year? goaltenders that are in and around the league minimum, like the Anthony Stolars, the uh, Alex Lyons, these guys who are so valuable for your team. You may look at them and just sort of shrug and go like, oh, okay, they're there to you know, uh, pick up some games and, and eat some minutes. He said those are the most valuable players that a team can have. Are they the MVPs of the year, the league minimum backup goalies in the NHL, Carter, more valuable than ever? Yeah, something I something I know all too well, right? So it's it's one of those things where even you look <laughs> at Joey Decord right now in Seattle and you know, where they were struggling this yeah. year. They, they couldn't really find their identity and you know, Grubauer gets hurt, Joey comes in, he played really well and especially for him he was a American League guy last year. He played a ton of minutes losing in the Calder Cup finals in game 7, snowballing that into what he is now. He's a workhorse and he's played well and it just shows you the depth you need, even in Toronto here with Joseph Wall, the younger guy, coming in and playing such a good job, and now Samsonov struggling, and now having that safety net of Martin Jones to be that stopgap to kind of fill that void until Wall gets back or Samsonov can kind of find his identity again. It's been a bit of a whirlwind. And and then in the other case, you look at New Jersey, who's been struggling with uh, you know finding a guy who's going to run, take the ball and run with it with a lot of younger goalies with inexperience. Or Vanasek has played some good hockey, but they don't have that veteran there to yeah. protect him until guys get ready ready to go 
Let, let's drill down on a couple of those teams and a couple of those goaltenders. And I want to start by uh, by talking about Samsonov. And, you know, you can just see it in the expression in his face after games and the, the tone of his voice. Um, listen, you know this a lot better than I do. Once your confidence is shattered, uh, you see it on the scoreboard. Like when you watch Samsonov go through what Samsonov's been going through, uh, whether out there you cheer for the Maple Leafs or not, or you just love watching them lose, you can't help but feeling sorry uh, for Samsonov as a person. When you see the struggles like that, Carter, what do you think about? I think, you know, it hits home with me, right? Because I've been through so many different highs and lows, right? And it's a position where when you're off just a little bit, you're going to be the guy that wears it and and it doesn't fare well for him. Um, for me, I struggle with him a, yeah. a lot. I think inter- I would internalize it, right? I would hide it, find ways to pack it away, you know, confide in people I know where with Samson off in the Toronto media, it seems like they were rolling him out there on the carpet and he was, uh, you know, not really, he was showing his hand and telling him how much he's struggling with confidence. And I don't think that helps. I think he needs to try to protect himself and hopefully this little reset or whatever their plan is with him will help because there's another side of hockey where, there is his mental health and how he's dealing with it. But at the same time, the Leafs are in the business of winning hockey games. And right now he hasn't been that guy. And, and it's been very visual to watch. That's yeah. for sure. I, I, and so Samsonov goes down to the Marlies of the American Hockey League. He's not going to play games. They're going to work on his game. How much can you do in practice um, that helps restore your confidence? I mean, I, I look at this and I say, I understand it philosophically, you know, keep him away from games, work on, on everything around that. But isn't that really ultimately the way you build confidence, success in games? For sure, for sure. Because there's nothing like playing in games, right? I felt for me when there was stints in my yeah. career, especially when I played in Nashville behind Pecorine, I didn't get to play if he was playing really well. And then there was times where he wasn't playing well. And it's like, well, we have to get him going to get him. So I had the practice time, but nothing gives you that confidence like playing again until you get that first shot when you haven't played in a week or 10 days or whatever it is to get in there and start feeling it. So for me, I think this is a plan right now where in the interim, it makes sense because of his struggles have been so visual and they've tried to give him some rest. They've tried to give him breaks where at this point, I, I think it's just a matter of trial by fire. Like they have to find a way to get him going. If not, you know, they have to be prepared to move on and, and see what they can do with what's out there and what they have. You know, the um, uh, the goalie story around the NHL uh, has been fascinating and the goalie market has been fascinating. As we understand it, the prices are sky high. It is not exactly a buyer's market uh, right now. And various teams have been in the market. Some have dipped out of the market. Some need something specific like the, uh, the LA Kings need a backup goaltender. At times, the Edmonton Oilers uh, believe they need a starting netminder. The Maple Leafs uh, need a lot of things and maybe a new starter is one of them. Um, but the New Jersey Devils, you, you keyed on a couple of seconds ago, and listen, they need a defenseman to, to, to take over for Dougie Hamilton. He may be gone for the entire season. Uh, to your point, they also need a number one starting netminder. I've wondered about Calgary, uh, who have players that could suit both those needs uh, for the New Jersey Devils. Um, when you look at New Jersey and their netminding situation, what are your thoughts? Like, What goes through your mind? What did they need here? So my, my problem is just going into this with a team that's going to compete in the Metro, right? Like they're two games back of second place Carolina. They have two games in hand, sorry, four points. Yeah. And they're it's it, they're in the thick of it, but they don't have like a veteran present, right? You have Vanasek who's only played over just over 150 games. He's never been the guy. Like he's kind of had stints where he's ran with it and he's played well and he's very serviceable and he can get the job done. But you have a team that wants to win, that has a chance to win, that is pretty star-studded now. 
where is that guy that they can find with a little more identity? You know, you talk about Montreal carrying three guys, you know, having Jake Allen, is he a piece that gets can get moved out here? But like you talked about, these teams, the longer they wait, this market is growing and the value is going through the roof. Even you look at the wings, having Alex Lyon and Huso go down and having James Reimer there as your third and Martin Jones, these guys yeah. that are serviceable that can get you the depth so it'll be interesting to see how it goes and for me i think they need to fill that gap they need to find some veteran presence because these young kids it's it's a lot for them to take on trying to be the guy uh it really is i i i, I think i wonder like you uh does new jersey see vitek vanacek as a backup and they're in in need of that one big dog like i keep coming back to jacob markstrom like i look at i look at what new jersey needs and what New Jersey wants to do and what New Jersey is capable of doing. And I'll be serious, Carter. Like, I look at New Jersey and say, if they're going to do anything to get a goaltender, it's going to be a blockbuster deal. Like, they have a lot of young talent. Uh, they have picks available as well. Uh, there's a window there for the New Jersey Devils. That exists. I, I can't help but thinking, if there's one team that's going to pull off a blockbuster to get what they need, it's New Jersey. Agree, disagree. No, I agree, especially with that core they have, right? They have a lot of young guys that they can grow into. And again, like you touch on Vanasek, yeah. I'm a big fan of Vanasek, but he is a backup. He kind of gives me vibes like how I was. I'm, I, I could get hot, I could have a run, but trying to carry the weight of a season when you have the keys to the castle is a totally different impact on a player, especially on a good team, right? So I think for that, you know, maybe they find that guy, but what are they going to give up to get it? And, you know, you need to do it soon, right? You start to, as the price just gets higher and higher as we get later in the season. Uh, let me, you know, it, uh, a little bit later on, I'm going to play an interview that I did with Ron Francis in Seattle. And one of the things we talked about was e-bugs. And Ron Francis said, like, you know, if you're in the NFL and your quarterback goes down and your backup quarterback goes down, you don't pull someone out of the stands to play quarterback for your team. But we seem fine essentially doing that with netminders in the NHL. Oh, your two goalies are out. Let's grab the accountant. And now all of a sudden you're the goaltender uh, for the team. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't ask you to speak on behalf of all goaltenders in the NHL, but maybe I am. How do goalies feel about e-bugs? You know, I, I've been around a few of them where, you know, guys have got hurt and they've got to come in. And so it's a cool experience for them. But in the same time, I find it a bit like as an organization, as a team, like a bit embarrassing where these guys, we have so many players and depth players and systems and money and everything that's put into it where guys get in there. Like you think about, uh, with Toronto facing the Zamboni driver and uh, his name's eluding me right now. I remember taking so much abuse. David Ayers. Like I would, David Ayers. David Ayers. David Ayers. I would lose a game and people would be attacking me that a Zamboni driver is better than me. So it's one of those things where it's like we're almost exposing ourselves to like criticism and different things happening. Chicago, Scott Foster. Uh, it's a great experience. It's yeah. cool. But like you're talking about a big time business and this is what we have to fall upon, which seems tricky to me. Um, and I don't know how you fix it because we can't just carry a ton of goalies because it is like a niche position where there's only a few of us. But I think from my standpoint, my yeah. experience, it's a cool experience. And I was always open to it. I was very kind and opening. And, and you know, when someone would get called up, but at the same time, when they would get in the net and then they would get praise and stuff, it'd be like, man, it's, it's, it's tough to see in that sense, right? I think from an NHL standpoint, the abuse we would take after. You're handing someone a fantasy camp is what it is. Hey, come play Maple Leafs fantasy camp or <laughs> Chicago Blackhawks fantasy camp. That's that's kind of what this is. But you, you did wink at something there, and I, I want to finish this conversation up by talking about this phenomenon. And 
no one like first of all no one likes three goaltenders like no one likes the three-headed monster the goalies don't like it I, I think one of the best pictures that I've seen all season long in the NHL it's an overhead shot it's in Buffalo it's at practice and it's Devin Levi in net and it's Comrie and Lukanen at the blue line watching him take shots and go through his and go through his routine. It's the three goalies on the ice and one guy is getting work. We understand the dynamic. It doesn't work for anybody. Teams always say, oh, we can handle it. We have a way of making this work. I don't believe that for one second. Your thoughts on the three goalie monster in the NHL. It started the season and it still continues to this day. You know, I, I think my first real year of dealing with it was the COVID year when we kept an extra guy around. We had I had Jonas Johansson with us. It was me and Lena Solmark in Buffalo. And there was a sense it was nice yep. if you needed rest, if you were, if I had been playing a bunch of games and you could kind of work it in. But in that sense, I also knew how to manage myself as well, right? I would just take some reps off and not go as full tilt as I normally would. So I just think it creates a log jam. And, and again, like where... Maybe UPL or, or Comrie in these different situations are more serviceable getting more games and staying sharper, like we talked about, not being in games and just practicing. And now you're losing even that practice time because there's too many bodies. So yeah. I know these teams want to have depth, but I, I don't love the three-headed monster. I know right now Montreal has it going on with a pretty clean rotation where I think they're just trying to add value to what they're going to end up moving somebody on. But I'm not a big fan of it. But I also, how do you manage that when you talk about injuries? It, it, it gets a little bit messy, that's for sure. Uh, true or false? Tyler Stewart is the coolest e-bug you've ever met. Yeah, yeah, Tyler Stewart in St. Louis. That was awesome. It's uh, he's up there for sure. I think they <laughs> they did a book on it too. I was in there because I was considered an e-bug when I got called up to the Flyers, but I ended up uh, parlaying that into a career. Yes, certainly did. Uh, 232 or 234 games in the NHL. Uh, nothing to scoff at. Listen, we got to get you back on. Sorry, we're a little bit heavy for time here. Uh, great stuff. Uh, I love the transition you're making to media right now. Uh, doing great. Uh, let's get you back on soon, Carter. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. There he is, Carter Hutton, um, who's going to take all of our jobs one day. Uh, really delivers well. Uh, we thank him for joining the broadcast today, talking about goaltenders around the NHL. Yeah, you know, it is interesting, uh, and we'll play that Ron Francis interview coming up in an hour or two. It's almost as if, it's almost as if, like, I don't think that I even, I'm going to have to go back and listen to it, but I don't know that I even brought up the e-bug topic specifically. I might have. I want to listen to this interview again. You know, it's one of those things where after you have a conversation with someone, you forget who said what and who brought what up. But it almost was as if Francis was just dying to talk about it. And this will be continued discussion at general managers meetings, what to do with the emergency backup goaltender uh, situation. There are a lot of teams that have a real problem with this, considering the, uh, the money involved, considering how precious points are in the NHL uh, to, hand it to, to hand a game to someone who's not, or part of a game, hand it to someone who's not an NHL goaltender or even close to an NHL goaltender is something that I think the general managers of this league are trying to find a way around, trying to find, okay, can we have a special carve-out maybe for a third goaltender uh, who travels and practices with the team, but it's not the three-headed goalie monster. They're not on at the same time. They have other responsibilities with the team, and they can come on in relief as a third. I don't know. There's a the, the Smarter people than me around the league are trying to figure this one out. 
Um, and it does very much sound. And I asked Kelly McCrimmon about this when I talked to him in Vegas two days ago, and uh, he shared the same concerns, considering how much is on the line for all these games, that handing it to someone who's very much a part-time goaltender and someone that hasn't played competitive hockey for a long time other than the local beer league is something that I don't think a lot of general managers are too cool with. But as people always say to me, okay, what's your solution then? All right, uh, let's get Matt Marchese award because time now for Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Uh, Matt Marchese, uh, your thoughts really quickly before we get to your game of the night, your thoughts on e-bugs. Go quick. Yeah, I, 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 I get it. I do. Th- I wish that they would be able to carry a third goalie that can, you know, even give goalies a break in practice. Something like just to keep these guys healthy because there's just way too many situations for e-bugs. I know it's great yeah. for them, but not great for uh, elite hockey, as it were. Uh, okay, Flyers. Flyers at the Oilers tonight. Puck line is Oilers minus one and a half. Philadelphia is five and zero against the spread in the last five games on the road. They're also five and one against the puck line in the last six games. Edmonton is five and zero against the puck line in their last five games. Yeah, Edmonton's uh, Edmonton's uh, Edmonton's hot. Uh, winners of five games in a row. Whenever I see these two teams mix, I always think of my favorite year in NHL hockey, and that is 1987. This was one of the best Stanley Cup finals I ever saw. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers and the Edmonton Oilers. To me, Maddie, there's not going to be a more interesting team in the new year than the Philadelphia Flyers because they've tucked themselves into a real nice playoff position. I love the fact they're using an Elliott audio capture uh, from our podcast as a way to, as, <laughs> as him apologizing for not seeing the Philadelphia Flyers coming and how he was wrong about the Philadelphia Flyers. They're using that for commercials in Philadelphia. Bulletin board material. Uh, it's so good. It's just so good. Um, this is a team, though. We had Daniel Briaron a couple of weeks ago, and even if they're tucked into a nice playoff position come trade deadline time, the Philadelphia Flyers get the right price for the right players. Guess what? Mm-hmm. They are still big picture on all of this, but, man, John Tortorella has this group playing some real good hockey, and if there's any team out there that can play spoiler and end a losing and end a winning streak, it's the Philadelphia Flyers. Carter Hart gets a start tonight in his old hometown. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. On the Ottawa page in a couple of moments with Ian Mendez from The Athletic, Positions getting cemented in the nation's capital. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, quick update at the uh, World Juniors. Uh, the Americans continue to win. Well, they're winning in the third over Latvia, 6-1 to one right now. 19 minutes left in the third period, so they're going to go on to the semifinals. Meanwhile, uh, Team Canada loses in the quarters uh, to Czechia. And Michael Harabel, again, remember that name. He's an Arizona Coyotes second-round pick. 
He's six foot six, and as Brian Burke would say, has a part-time job as a wall and is a real good-looking prospect uh, on a team that is loaded with future good-looking prospects, and that is the Arizona Coyotes. So good on him, uh, good on Czechia as well. And the point that I've always beaten home about this tournament is whichever team has the best collection of 19-year-olds in it, that team wins this tournament. And this year, that team is the United States of America, folks. Uh, they have some dynamite, dynamic 19-year-olds, players up and down that lineup that you're going to see populate NHL lineups uh, for at least a decade to come. And if you're a Philadelphia Flyers fan, how good does Cutter Goche look? Right? Right? All right, coming up this hour. I'm going to talk to Ian Mendez in a couple of moments here. Ian from The Athletic. We'll talk about the uh, announcement on Sunday. Steve Steos decides that after the search, he's the best candidate. <laughs> the role of general manager, uh, adding to his position of president of hockey operations. Dave Poulin serves as senior VP of hockey ops and Ryan Bonus as associate general manager. Also, you hear my interview with Ron Francis from Seattle. That's coming up at the bottom of the hour in the interview Elliot and I did with Jack Eichel of the Vegas Golden Knights. Congratulations to Seattle and Joey DeCourt. Cord, uh, recording the first shutout in Winter Classic history, Seattle Downs Vegas, defending Stanley Cup champions um, at T-Mobile Park at the Winter Classic yesterday. Ian Mendez with me now from The Athletic. And uh, boy, the Ottawa Senators are a really newsy team so far this season. Ian, last time we spoke, we drilled that point home that as much as Andlauer and Steos wanted calm and quiet, they got the opposite. But now that the, 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 the concrete has hardened around some of these positions. Do you think things get noisier or do you think things get quiet for a while around Ottawa? Ooh, good, good question, Jeff. I, I think it might be a little bit of both. I think, you know, Michael Anlauer made it a point, Jeff, on Sunday in his press conference to say, you know, stability hasn't been a word in our team's vocabulary. And my New Year's resolution is I want stability to be a big part of our fans' vocabulary moving forward. So I do think some of the right. noise is going to – I think some of the noise is going to be cut down. But I do wonder why did they feel the need to make these moves now uh, at the end of December, yes. early January? It kind of makes me wonder, are there some things in play they want to get going now that they need this, this stuff to happen now? So I don't know that they'll necessarily be overly quiet because I, I suspect that maybe they made these changes because they want to get some things going on the, on the roster side of things. I'm with you about a billion percent, Ian. I wondered the exact same thing. And listen, Shane Pinto's on the horizon. Pinto's going to rejoin the mix and everything that comes along with that. But I'm with you. Like the, I, I really did wonder, okay, why are they doing it now? What's the motivation? They could have done this at the end of the season. Um, and, and I'm with you. The, the fact that all of a sudden now, most specifically, you know, the biggest situation was Steve Steos um, being cemented as a full-time general manager of the Ottawa Centers. That does say to me, okay, we have some things that we need to do given the position that we're in. Uh, it's not a position that, A, we thought we'd be in or want to be in right now. But all we can do is play the field, and this is the uh, the hand of cards that we've been dealt. So in order to do this, we need to cement some other positions, and that's why it was done. Like, I think as much as Ann Lauer wants to talk about stability, stability is one thing, but noise is another. And I think that we're going to be looking at the Ottawa Senators lineup and wondering who's staying, who's going, who's the core, 
and what are they going to do in advance of trade deadline? And Ian, you've covered the league for a long time. You know that in this salary capped league, you don't start to get trade juices really going until January. Last time I checked, the calendar flipped lot yesterday, and it is now January. Your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, and I think what I think they're going to do now is with Jacques Martin and Daniel Alfredson running the on-ice product, Jeff, I think they now feel Mm -hmm. like, okay, let's make sure that the guys that we think are in our core, let's make sure they are the core guys. So we're talking Batherson, Stutzla, Norris, Kachuk, Shabbat, Pinto, you know, Sanderson, the, the seven or eight guys you, you would all think are part of the core. But they need to make some decisions now to make sure are those the guys. And then I think the most intriguing name that you're going to hear in the next four to six weeks, Jeff, is Vlad Tarasenko. Um, yep. I don't know that he necessarily fits here long term. Based on his age, I wouldn't say he's a quote unquote core guy. Uh, they got to make a decision on him. And, and, and if they move past him, what's the market? It's funny, when I read all of the sort of trade lists and, and, and boards that are out there, I've yet to see Tarasenko's name kind of creep up. It's kind of dominated by that group in Calgary and some other names. I think yeah. we're getting to a point where they got to do something on Tarasenko in the next six weeks or so. I, I can't imagine it would be an extension, would it? Like well, I think I we're, we're looking at you know so. Vlad Tarasenko being available. Yeah, that's what that that would be my guess. And again, they have to figure out yeah. contracts for you know Pinto not only for this season but but beyond. Uh, and Jacob Chikrin is another really interesting name. He he's got another year left, so it's not like Chikrin is they got to make a decision on him. But they can extend him starting this summer. Yeah. But got to start thinking about long term what the, the cap picture is going to look like. And they made it very clear, Jeff, on Sunday, uh, Steve Stales did, they were really left with what they felt was like an unfair cap situation. They're not happy with the way Pierre Dorian left the salary cap. Like, there's not a lot of room for them to, to maneuver this season. And I think they want to make sure they don't run into that same problem mm-hmm. uh, this summer and beyond. Well, this is the uh, this is what we saw with Jim Rutherford, right? With the Vancouver Canucks, what's yeah. the first thing that Rutherford did when he took over the Vancouver Canucks? Is that uh, we need to get some flexibility, and I can't help but thinking that to your point, Steve Steos is saying the exact same thing. We're going to do some things here, and in order to do some things, uh, we need the flexibility to do it. Um, do you think this is considering how this season has gone, and for the last few years, I think Pierre Dorian has tried to force something that in retrospect wasn't there, and that is the Ottawa Senators and taking that next step. Like the Ottawa Senators, as we look at it now, you know, wasn't ready for Alex DeBrinkett. You know, the Ottawa Senators weren't ready for Vlad Tarasenko. I think people might wonder, well, were they ready then for Claude Giroux? Um, Were they ready for Jacob Chikrin? Like all these moves that Pierre Dorian made, you know, they may have been good moves, but the timing was off on all of them. These are like the final pieces you bring in before you take that next big winning step. And I think Pierre Dorian thought that the Ottawa Senators were in a place where clearly they weren't, but made these moves to try to push them there. How do you think this management group sees the Ottawa Senators? Uh, Do they see them as Pierre Dorian saw the Ottawa Senators really close to taking that next step? Or do you think they look at Ottawa and say, there's still going to be some lean times here? It's a great question. And, you know, it's funny because Pierre Dorian, Jeff, refused adamantly 
to say that we're a playoff team. He he always declined. He always yeah. punted. I the question: Are you a playoff team? Are you ready to push for the playoffs? And he said, No, we're just ready to take the next step. But I think if you look at it, Jeff, the way he acted and the way he behaved in the last two years. That was a general manager sure. who felt like it was a plastic. You don't trade first-round picks for Jacob Chikrin and Alex Debrinkit unless you're pushing your chips yep. into the middle of the table. So I think he did absolutely think that they were a playoff team. Uh, and, and, you know, they clearly weren't or they're not there yet. So I think on Stales and, 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 and his group with Dave Poulin and, and Ryan Bonus, you know what the biggest question I have outside of, obviously, I mentioned Tarasenko, is the goaltending. Hmm. Like, it has been, it's been a yes. carousel uh, since Craig Anderson left, you know, they had the Matt Murray era and they gave Phil Gustafson the job. And, you know, then there was Cam Talbot and they've had, you know, this year it's Corpusello. Uh, to me, when we talk about stability in Ottawa on the ice, I look at the goaltending position and I wonder how much of that is connected to their playoff chances. And, and if they can get some stable, competent, consistent goaltending, are we having a different conversation about this team down the road. And I think that's going to be a big indicator for this group is can they stabilize the goaltending position and start to think that they are a playoff mm-hmm. team. You know, and the one position that's most closely linked with uh, net minding is head coaching. Um, yep. And I, I think the Ottawa Senators, correct me if I'm wrong, are fine going through the remainder of the season with Jacques Martin and Daniel Alfredson. But uh, now that there is a general manager there full time and Steve Steos, uh, you have to you have to at least wonder, you know, who the next coach of this team is going to be. And I know there's a lot of noise around John Gruden uh, of the AHL's Toronto Marlies and their previous association with uh, the Hamilton Bulldogs. He took the Bulldogs to an OHL championship um, and, uh, you know, beat Robert Thomas's London Knights and took him to the Memorial Cup on the 100-year anniversary. Uh, couldn't get the ball over the uh, over the line, but nonetheless. Uh, so his name is very much out there. In a minor key, Jay McKee's name uh, is out there. He's coaching the, the Bulldogs in the uh, OHL right now, another uh, and Lauer own team. Uh, what? How do you expect the coaching situation to play itself out in Ottawa now? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I, I don't think they ever wanted to do this, Jeff. I think in an ideal, ideal blue sky version. DJ Smith is still coaching this team, and then they would be able to make a decision at the end of the year. But it, it got really, quite frankly, it got untenable with DJ Smith. And that's not being overly critical of DJ Smith. That was just, The team was falling off a cliff. They, I think it would have been inhumane to bring him back and put him in front of the home crowd again. It just, it just got to a point where it was untenable. So they had to make the change. I think Jacques Martin and Daniel Alfredson will run the ship for the rest of the year. But Jeff, Jacques Martin is 71 years old. Um, you know, basically, yeah. he's the oldest coach in NHL history. Uh, you know, he doesn't go on the ice all the time for practices, which is atypical. You usually see the head coach on the ice. I don't yeah. think when we get to October that he's going to be the head coach. That's just my, my, my read on the situation. So they have to look at this and say, what are the, what, who are the pool of candidates? And, but I also wonder, Jeff, if they kind of knew in the back of their mind that Steve Stales was going to be the general manager, and if the coach that they really wanted, whether it was a Craig Barube or somebody else, if that guy's available, don't you think they would have just jumped on him three weeks ago anyway? I, I That's the feeling I get. So my mm-hmm. guess is that Jock Martin will run out the season. Maybe they'll reevaluate with Daniel Alfredson what he wants to do, where, he, he's, where his headspace is at. And then the pool of candidates will be theoretically a lot bigger 
in in April, May, June than it is now in January, and maybe that's when they'll make their decision on the uh, on the head coach for this group for next season. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the plan is then for the team for the remainder of the season? Like, I know there's still the element of, uh, to your previous point, I think it's the right one, you know, who wants to be here? We've identified the core, what we want as as our core. Uh, I think we need to find out who is going to, who, who actually wants to stay here. Um, but what is, I mean, listen, it, it's tough, man. It, it's tough playing out the string when you're out of the playoffs in January and, uh, and everything that comes along with it. But, you know, what's the goal from here to the end of the season? I mean, it starts tonight, the new regime. It's uh, Ottawa Senators, Vancouver Canucks, Game 1 uh, with Steve Steos as the official general manager. What's the remainder of the season look like for Ottawa? What's the goal here? Well, you know, part of me wonders if you look at the team that they're playing tonight uh, at Rogers Arena and think, you know the old Spider-Man meme where you're pointing at each other and you and you, and you you hope that maybe that's... <laughs> yeah, right? Maybe you hope that's going to be us because you go back to about a year ago at this time, what were the Vancouver Canucks? They were plunged in chaos. They had a coaching change. Nobody yep. knew what was going on. And everything just kind of fell into place. And and I don't think this is a talent issue per se in Ottawa. And I, I think in the next 10 weeks or 12 weeks or so, Jeff, I think fixing the mindset of this group is going to be the challenge for Jacques Martin and Daniel Alfredson. Can you get them to believe that they are winners? Can you get them to change the mindset? Because the problem when you lose for five, six, seven, and now in Ottawa's case, this could be the seventh year in a row they missed the playoffs, is that mentality seeps into the culture. It becomes organizational groupthink that we can't hmm. win. They gotta, they gotta bust that. That, that to me is going to be the biggest thing. Can they? Get that group to believe that they are, in fact, good enough to make the playoffs. And, and they're going to have to get some, some teaching and guidance from Jacques uh, Martin and Daniel Alfredson. But quite frankly, I think that's what it is. I, I think they got a, like a 4% chance of making the playoffs. Nobody uh, is yeah. hanging their hat around here. It would take a Hamburglar run for that to happen. So it's, it's about <laughs> fixing that mentality and that mindset to, to kind of get them into the right hands. Okay, so two Ottawa teams playing tonight. I want to I want to end on this one. The Ottawa Senators facing off against the Vancouver Canucks and PWHL Ottawa facing off and hosting uh, PWHL Montreal at TD Place tonight. What's the market like for this team right now? Michael Hirschfeld, the general manager, formerly of the uh, uh, the Coaches Association, GMing the Ottawa squad. Your thoughts on, yeah. on tonight's matchup? We saw the maiden voyage of the league yesterday at Madame Athletic Center. Attention turns to TD Place tonight. Yeah, and it, it sold out, Jeff. And, you know, I was at the rink this morning to kind of take in the morning skate. And the coolest thing I saw was Carla McLeod, who's the head coach of the Ottawa team. She actually took her cell phone out at the end of practice and was skating around her players with her phone. And, Jeff, I have never seen a coach at, you know, the, a high-level professional coach take their phone out and yeah. record something. And so I talked to her after. I said, what were you doing? She said, you know, I just wanted to soak in the history because I, I know what this is. I, I, I feel like this is something special. And that's that's really how this city is feeling. There's going to be 8,500 people inside the arena tonight, which will wow. make it the largest uh, attendance ever for a professional women's hockey game in North America. The first two games, Jeff, are completely sold out. You, but you can't get a ticket for the game tonight. And so there's an electric atmosphere. We're going to get a chance to see Marie-Philippe Poulain play, of course, because she plays for Montreal. She'll be in town. So a great energy. A lot of fans are looking at this as a doubleheader night. You get the 7 o'clock Ottawa PWHL game and then yep. the Senators, uh, the late game in Vancouver tonight at, uh, at Rogers Arena. 
Looking forward to this one. Uh, Brianne Jenner, Emily Clark, you mentioned Marie Philippe playing on the, on the other side, Aaron Ambrose as well. This one, this one should be a good one. Um, Ian, thanks as always for stopping by. Uh, thoughts on the NHL, thoughts on the PWHL. We love it. Uh, thanks as always, pal. We'll, we'll touch base soon. And Happy New Year, by the way, to you and your family. Uh, health and happiness in 2024. Same to you, Jeff. Happy New Year and thanks for having me. The great Ian Mendez uh, from The Athletic on all things Ottawa. Ottawa is a, a fascinating team here. And, you know, eyes on them come trade deadline time and, and what Steve Steyos, general manager, um, is poised to do with this team. And I think that a lot of us do wonder about Jacob Chikrin uh, as well. Jacob Chikrin, uh, who by all accounts loves it there. Uh, they love him there. He's a UFA in 2025. And as of this July 1st, they can extend him. And he is still on a very team-friendly uh, contract that pays him $4.6 million. So we'll see where Ottawa goes. Well, Ottawa's going tonight uh, in Vancouver as they face off against the Canucks. One of 13 games on the board around the NHL. Uh, I don't think that U.S. game is an official final yet. Uh, we'll bring in Matt Marchese here. Matt, do you have an update on the U.S.-Latvia game as we proceed through the program today? Yeah, we are. It is merely a formality at this point, Jeff. It's seven-two for the oh, U.S. Yeah. Uh, with uh, uh, yeah. just under six minutes left in the game. Uh, so that one is pretty much. Uh, it's pretty much done. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've made the point that I always look at this tournament the same. Whoever has the best nineteen-year-olds wins. Certainly um, helps. Canada loses to Michael Harabel and the uh, and the team from Czechia. Harabel is so good. Like that is such a good player that Arizona got in the second round. Um, I, I'm not one of these guys that says you don't take goaltenders in the first round. Psh, poppycock. When you look at how important the goaltending position is, I'm surprised that a more goaltenders don't get paid and b why more than don't get selected in the first round. I know, I know. Goalies are voodoo. Goalies are voodoo. Um, and I know we're just now starting to scratch the surface of how to measure performance and evaluate goaltenders in a more sophisticated way other than goals against and save percentage. A lot of that is being driven by Steve Valaket and ClearSight Analytics. Um, but how do you have been getting a sidetracked here? How do, you, uh, how do you look at the World Junior Tournament every year? Well, it's kind of the same, right? Like you, you look at the teams that, well, Firstly, having a bunch of first-round picks and high first-round picks, which is what the U.S. has, uh, that that goes a and long returnees. way too. Yeah, and returning like it's to me when I looked at the rosters going in, I was like, I know that I know Sweden it, it was one of the favorites going in, but I looked at this U.S. roster and especially up front, and I was just like, who's going to beat these guys? Like their third line at one <laughs> point was Will Smith. Uh, Ryan Leonard and Gabe Perot. And I'm like, that's a third line. That's somebody's third line. Are you kidding me? So I didn't like, I thought Canada was going to go a little bit further, but the U S to me was the best team in the tournament. I didn't think it was particularly close. I'm not a big junior hockey guy like you are, Jeff, but based on what I saw and based on that roster and watching the U S last year, I'm like, yeah, I don't see anybody beating these guys. Put it this way, Cole Eiserman may go second overall in the draft. Yep. Not even invited. Yep. Yep. Not even invited. Like, we, that's how deep this U.S. squad is. Do we really want to have this conversation, Jeff, about uh, how uh, Canadian hockey fans should be very, very worried about the future of international events, even at the men's level? Um, because I, I had a conversation with somebody they about this. They should. And I they look should. and I look at the roster that the U.S. team could put together. And they are 
to me miles better in net that that is not even a question oh, yeah, 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 um yeah. but then i look at even the forwards yes canada will be able to boast hopefully mcdavid and mckinnon and bedard and crosby and fine go down the list do i think that the u.s forwards are that far behind i don't i really don't i think it's no. i think it's pretty good not- like that you've got uh you know Jack Hughes is kind of good. Jack Eichel's pretty good. Austin Matthews. Like, you can go down that list. And then these other guys that are coming up, their D is really good. I don't know. I just, this is not, this is not Canada just, you know, rolls everybody <laughs> in a tournament anymore. This is not, we're not in Kansas no. anymore, Toto. Yeah, no, those, those, those days are done where Canada just rolls everybody. They've been done for a while, but I think we're really going to start to see them more on the, on the international stage if... The NHL can get together this international calendar, a consistent international calendar, yeah, uh, which they've talked about doing going back to, oh, let me see, the 2004-2005 lockout. Yeah. Because, you know, let's not forget, too, like even before that lockout, what was the last big game before that lockout? It was World Cup. Yeah. And that was, and that was... where both the PA and the NHL just tried to line their pockets. Yeah knowing that the very next day the players were getting locked out, and they were, mm-hmm. uh, and they were just trying to build up their war chest. But we heard a lot of noise and a lot of conversation about there needs to be a very sophisticated and consistent international schedule for NHL players. That was 0405, Maddie. Yeah, I was, I was, was a 0405. I was a very young 15 or 16-year-old at that point, Jeff. And wondering, why are the players not playing? Um, so 13 games on the go around the NHL tonight. But before we get there, Matty, uh, yes. your thoughts on a couple of things from yesterday, most specifically, because I don't think we've spent uh, really any time talking about it. Good on the Seattle Kraken. Good on the Seattle Kraken, who went through an extended losing streak, have hopped on an extended winning streak, or an extended points streak. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a winning streak, but Tolvanen, Borgen, Gord, find the back of the net. But yesterday was a Joey Decord st- uh, story. 35 saves, first goaltender to earn a shutout in the Winter Classic. Your thoughts on all of it? Because it's more than just a game. It's a spectacle. Mm -hmm. It's a big presentation. Your thoughts on what we saw in Seattle yesterday? The spectacle itself is wonderful. And even the players coming out and the the kind of um, the design that they had for the ramp where it was looking like you were going out uh, onto the ocean as a fisherman and you're getting ready to face the crack and all the that. It was, it was great, right? Like, yeah. I, I love the, I love that. Like, I know some people think it's kind of cheesy, whatever. I think that stuff is great. Nope. Um, the, the scenic, I know you don't for sure. Um, the scenics itself it. are awesome. I love everything that goes on in the, you know, surrounding the game and the big crowd and whatever. Yeah. Here's one thing that I notice every time that I watch, and it has nothing to do with the game itself. To me, the okay. rink itself like the playing surface feels so much smaller because there's no seats behind it. it. I don't know. It just feels like the game. Like it feels like they're playing on, uh, on a you know at the the War Memorial in in uh, Buffalo, the the Memorial <laughs> Auditorium in Buffalo. Like it's just like yeah. it just feels like a really small playing surface. I'm like, where are these guys gonna go? Like, there's no room to move here, and it's not. Yeah. It's a regular size Same. NHL uh, pad. But um, the game itself, I mean. Yeah. As as a gambler, I always tell people like just bet the under in the outdoor games because it's always going to be like that. Uh, the fact that Vince Dunn saved a fly from uh, from his demise or her <laughs> demise yesterday was something that I don't yeah. think we've seen very often at an outdoor game. But I mean, again, the game yeah. 
it's not about the product on the ice and it hasn't been for a while. It's just, it's something different. It's guys, it's, it's good for the players and the people that go to the game. I'm sure they love it, but for the actual play on the ice and you and I've had this conversation earlier this year about the game between Calgary and Edmonton. It's not about the game on the ice because the game on the ice is going to be sloppy and it's, you know, not sloppy in the way that we like it, Jeff. And where there's like, there's goals here and there because nobody can defend. It's just not the same. Yeah. Yeah, so I think this is going to be, we edited it down. I hope that we, we, we capture this for the Eichel uh, interview we're going to air here in a couple of moments. One of the things he talked about is how the ice felt um, at this at this outdoor game. And this is consistent for most uh, outdoor games as well. NHL, you have a hard concrete slab underneath mm-hmm. the ice. So the ice feels like it, it, pushes, it pushes back or there's that stability there. But for something like the outdoor game, it feels like it. He was saying this. And the first player that I've really heard talk about this with any sophistication is that it feels softer. And yeah. it feels like there's almost like a bounce to it a little bit. And that makes sense uh, because you're not playing on, on the concrete slab. The other thing, and this is more um, about style points than anything, Maddie, how good did those Seattle unis look? Oh, yeah. Oh. Like they, they were so, so good that you think to yourself, Please don't let this be a one and done. No, 100%. They looked so good. Yeah. Please at least let them just be your third. I think that should be the Seattle uniform, period. Mm-hmm. I understand for marketing reasons, brand identity, all those types of things, you're not going to do it. But that is such a great look. That is such a great look for Seattle. Like, please tell me that somewhere down the road, that's going to be the, those are going to be the official thirds. I would hold Seattle so. Kraken. I thought they looked gorgeous. I thought they looked gorgeous. For for a team that doesn't, you know, um, for a team that there is history in the city of Seattle, and we're very well aware of it with the Metropolitans, like yeah. that to me is a home run. It's a home run. Like it, the logo, yeah. everything about it, like j- the color scheme, like all of it, yep. it should absolutely, like if I was a Kraken fan, I'd be in line for one of those yeah. jerseys. They're, they're that nice. They're very clean. Totally. Like, and it's not, and it doesn't have yeah. like, you know, sometimes with these third jerseys, they go a little bit crazy with them, right? Whereas this one is very simplistic in its design, whether it be the logo or the color concept, or whatever, it's very simplistic. And that's what I think I like the most about it because it just feels clean. And I hope you're right. I hope that it is the, the third jersey. Do you want to talk about wires, Jeff? You want to talk? <laughs> I don't know that we have time. I'll Cole be quick. He's wearing a wire, man. Oh, he's, he's wearing wearing a microphone. And he caught what Ryan Hartman was saying about him, and that's how he got the the, the stick in the face off the draw. <laughs> the first thing I thought of was for all the Sopranos fans out there, when when Polly Walnuts thinks that Christopher Maltesad, he's wearing a wire. They're playing pool, and he's and Christopher is really pissing Polly off, and he goes, "Hey, kid, you wearing a wire?" And he and he goes and he swears back at him, uh, which I can't say on the air. But yeah, it was that's just yeah. honestly like I don't love it for Cole Perfetti, like I, I don't love that he had to take that for yeah. somebody else's doing because um, there's a better way to go about it. Uh, so I didn't love that, but the fact that it just became like a big thing now. I mean, Minnesota Winnipeg games yeah. are already a little spicy and sometimes oh, yeah. a lot spicy. Oh, yeah. I'm good for this for the next one. Like who's gonna line up? Like Brendan Dillon is fighting Ryan Hartman. In, in that game. We know that's happening, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, we do. February 20th. That's February a good day, 20th. Jeff. That's Circle a good day. Calendars. And, oh, is that your birthday, Maddie? It sure is. 35. No. 
Oh, look out. Oh, I wish. Oh, the good old days, 35. Uh, that's going to be a great one. That should be. But listen, like the, the Minnesota-Winnipeg rivalry is a, is a dynamic one. That's another log on the fire. And you're right. Now maybe everyone will start to pay attention. Mm-hmm. But this has been a good rivalry for a while. Every now and then it erupts. Yep. And now this adds a whole new level to it. But the one thing that I always come back and I say is there's one thing that could make it even better. What's that? You know what that is, Matt? If Dustin Bufflin, was oh still the man, that yes. guy, I know, I know. Sees moments. We yearn for those days. Just wish that Dustin Bufflin was still there. Uh, all right, we got to hit a break here. You're going to hear from. Uh, you're going to hear from Ron Francis, the general manager of the Seattle Kraken, and you're going to hear from Jack Eichel of the Vegas Golden Knights. Interviews that we did uh, in advance of the Winter Classic. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360, wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, really quickly here, before we get to these two interviews, something uh, that I'm hearing, and I've sent some texts out to try to confirm this, uh, it sounds like uh, in exchange for wearing microphones, the NHL Players Association uh, were promised that nothing that the microphones pick up can be used for discipline of a player. So we'll see where this one goes. Again, I've sent just sent a couple of texts out on the break to try to figure out if that is exactly true. Uh, but it sounds like that may be a thing here or something mitigating where whatever Perfetti's microphone picked up about what Ryan Hartman said to him about what he did off the draw, um, it may not be eligible to be used in a discussion around discipline. Anyway, more on that. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'll get to that information as it becomes available to me and back here on the program tomorrow. Okay, in the meantime, I'm uh, going to hear from Jack Eichel here in a couple of seconds. But first, and I think we're doing the Seattle interview here first. I'm just a little bit busy on the break. Uh, Ron Francis, general manager of the Seattle Kraken, sat down with him two days ago in advance of the Winter Classic. Here's Ron Francis. First of all, Ron, this looks fantastic uh, behind us here. I, I am curious, from your position as general manager, what's been the most challenging thing about putting this event together? Actually, you know what? Uh, the NHL does a great job. They've done this for a long time, so they organize that. The Mariners have been fantastic to work with and, and, mm-hmm. and helping get everything set up. Um, you know, probably the biggest thing is just in hosting, you've got everybody coming into town. So. You know, we're running somewhere close to about 300 uh, family and friends yep. that are in town for the event. So managing that, making sure we get as many people as we can on the ice to skate, as many people here to watch it, mm-hmm. uh, feeding them tonight on New Year's Eve and getting yeah. them into the building tomorrow has probably been the biggest challenge, but uh, it's a fun problem to have. It, it's become one of those items for players now. There's like, okay, I want to play, I want to win the Stanley Cup, I play my first game, I want to you know, score 50 goals, all-star, all that. This has become an item for NHLers now, right? No, it has. I mean, our guys have been really excited ever since they heard it was happening. Um, you know, and, and 
know, they put a lot of time in now. Part of it is, is what are they going to wear? What are their outfits going to be as they, you know, they yeah. come off the bus tomorrow? So there's a lot of, you know, sort of effort into that, and then a lot of discussions with the players as to how we want to make it work and making sure that we take care of their families during this event too. So, uh, really exciting. Um, our organization's thrilled that we're getting to host this, and mm -hmm. you know, thanks to the NHL for giving us that opportunity because uh, we really appreciate it. I mean, listen, you're a legendary player yourself. Is there a part of you that says, you know what, maybe I was, uh, maybe I'd like to have played in one of these? You know what, uh, the closest I came was uh, the Penguins invited me to go back to uh, play in the alumni game uh, there. So I, I did sort of get to, it wasn't the real deal, but uh, uh, unfortunately I was, I was out of the game and didn't get the chance uh, when it came along. But uh, um, this, is, this is just a special thing that the league does, and, and uh, we're thrilled that we have it here in Seattle. What are the players saying to you about it? I mean, you mentioned already they're thrilled about it, but I mean, is this one of those like, hey, this, yeah. is, this makes it worth it here? Yeah, no, they're all excited. I mean, uh, you know, you see them around the locker room. It's, it, and, and my concern as a GM is you know, we're, there's so much planning for this, and you have to have these discussions, and you have to get them you know, their bracelets and their credentials and everything else for them and their families. Is that going to take away from their prep leading up to this? But, you know, our guys have <clears throat> done a real good job focusing on, you know, the NHL schedule and the games um, that are sort of laying in front of us, but also you can tell in the back of their minds they're, they're really yeah. excited to be here. Just spent some time walking through the locker room down there, and they all got smiles on their face, and it's, you know they're like little kids again, which is great to see. That's awesome. Um, uh, let me ask about your team. Um, really quickly, you've put together an impressive prospect pool. How many of the World Juniors right now? Uh, seven uh, now with Mr. Furkus flying over, and, yeah. and actually Shane Wright probably would have been there if we let him go. So, yeah, we've, we've got some good young pieces. Our, our scouting staff has done a real nice job in that area for sure. So how do you, I mean, expectations now after last year's season and making it to the playoffs and knocking off the, uh, the, the Stanley Cup champions, I mean, expectations certainly go up. How, how hard is it to say, you know what, these players are, are hands-off, or are they? Hands off. Like, do you always have an eye to the future, but knowing that, listen, we need to build on what we did last year? Yeah, no, I, I think right from day one, our approach was a little bit different. Um, you know, we knew going into the expansion draft, we weren't going to get the same kind of deals that Vegas got. I mean, the GMs had four years to prepare, they, they had time to go back and look at what they did and what they would do differently. Um, you know, Vegas had nobody sitting on the outside that could affect their yeah. expansion draft. Vegas made two trades. Nothing that they did wrong. That was, those are the rules, but they were allowed to make two trades, which sort of affected some of the rosters and the teams we picked. So going into it, we knew that really wasn't going to be an option for us. So part of the plan was to get the best possible team we could on the ice and be competitive each and every night, but also try and build from the ground up so that when we... Uh, and when those kids start to roll into our system, that we're, mm -hmm. we're feel that we're a competitive team, not only for the short term but for year after year and long term. So it's been a, a bit of a balancing act. We certainly think we've got a lot of good hockey players in our lineup, a lot of character individuals. Um, you know, that's why I think we were able to have the success we had last year. But we're also excited about what we have coming. So it determines, I guess, where we are at the, mm -hmm. at the time, whether we do certain things. But there are certain guys that absolutely would not be. Uh, not be in play based on our strategy to build for the long term. Uh, how are the phone calls been from other general managers? <clears throat> yeah, it, you know, it's <laughs> there's always calls. You know, I always say, as a player, you're always scared to death you're going to get traded. <laughs> um, you know, as a GM, you make 100, 150 calls. You, you're lucky if you get one thing done. So, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's always conversations and stuff, but. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a little interesting too with the cap situation with a lot of teams mm -hmm. too. There's not a lot. It's not real easy to do things in in, the, in this sort of environment right now. 
Uh, you mentioned Shane Wright a couple of seconds ago. Um, one thing that we do know about you is you have a plan. You have a plan for your team. You have a plan for individual players as well. What's the plan for Shane Wright? Kind of doing what we're doing, right? We uh, Last year we got him some NHL games. We got him back to the World Juniors. Uh, he was able to be captain on the team. They won a gold medal. Um, went back to juniors. He got back into Coachella. Um, they went all the way to the Calder Cup finals. They were in an overtime <laughs> game seven away from winning the Calder Cup. So a lot of experience there. Came into our camp. We reassigned him to Coachella again. And he's having a, you know, a decent year down there. Much better overall game from where he was a year ago. And that's our plan, we continue to work with him, continue to develop him, and uh, at some point he's going to get the opportunity to come up and, and play mm -hmm. here. But, uh, you know, uh, we want to make sure we're doing it right for Shane and the organization uh, in the long term. Is he one of those players that you look at and you say, you know, we could call him up here for a fourth-line <clears throat> spot, but that's not where Shane Wright's going to be? Like, does it matter what the spot is, or do you say it's Shane Wright if it's not a top-six spot? Top well, you know, we spot. did that. We had some injuries earlier, and we, and we called him and went to 10 up, and, and they played three games, and all three were like 10 minutes or less. I don't like that as a GM because, yeah. you know, if he's coming up, I want to see him playing. If I, if I have him in Coachella, he can play 15-plus minutes a night. He can play in all situations. I like him when he comes up here to have that opportunity to play more minutes mm -hmm. and, and in more important roles where he can show what he can do, you know, power play being one of them for sure. Um, you know, this is kind of, at least it feels this way now, uh, in that this season in the NHL has been the year of the backup goaltender. We had a number of teams with three goaltenders, and everyone was terrified about Tampa and waivers and trying to get a guy down, etc. How do you look at the goalie situation in the NHL right now, and do you think this is here to stay? Well, you know, I, I think uh, there may have to be some discussions, you know, when we get into the offseason, how we, how we manage that a little bit. But, um, you know, I think we've been no different. We, we went through this last year. We lost the goaltender for about 11 games. Uh, you know, again, this year we lost Grubauer. We've got the Corden Drieger playing for us. So, um, you know, they've done a real good job in the, in the interim. But, uh, you know, it, it, you're going to always deal with injuries, and we're no different. Like We haven't played one game this year with the roster we thought we were going to start the season with. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but it's such a critical position, the goaltending position, right? So it's if you have your goaltender healthy and able to play, it gives you a huge advantage. And you're seeing it now not only you know, with us, but a lot of teams throughout the league, that that's such a critical position. Um, you know, I find it interesting that... You know, I don't think the NFL would let, if the quarterback went down, some guy come out of the stands and dress and be the quarterback or uh, yeah. starting pitcher. You know, yeah. that's what we do right now. <laughs> so <laughs> is there something there that we need to discuss and kind of look at that yeah. a little bit differently, whether it's carrying a third guy or what have you? But uh, certainly I think it's... Uh, an interesting uh, point for all the all the GMs to have discussions on. I'm going to assume that that's come up before at general manager meetings, at least uh, yeah, I think uh, whether been, formally or informally. Yeah, I think there's been some, you know, sort of uh, brief discussion on it, but you're seeing more and more of it, and, and mm -hmm. it's becoming more and more of an issue. So, you know, does that be, put it more on the forefront moving yeah. forward? We'll have to wait and see, but I, I would think it becomes more of a discussion point. Not a fan of the e-bugs? I think it's great, but you know, I think you know you're, the the points are so valuable. It's a yeah. tough situation to take somebody that you know maybe by day is an accountant or a singer or something, and now yeah. you're throwing them into a National Hockey League game. Um, you know, at, at a critical point. Um, Matt Beniers, uh remarkable season last year, Calder Trophy. Um, <clears throat> what are the conversations that you have with him, or Dave Haxtell has with him, as he finds out that the second year in the NHL is more challenging than the first? Yeah, no, it's it's just sort of, um, 
you know, I think he went the first 13 games without a goal. All right, so you have a discussion with him and just make sure mentally that he's okay. You know, one thing about Maddie, he's not gonna, he's not gonna change who he is. He continues to work hard in practice, continues to work hard in the game. So that's a positive. Um, you know, just trying to lean maybe a little bit of your own experience. You know, I know in my position. You know, I played 23 years. It wasn't all 23 seasons that all went perfectly and never had a bad game or never had a bad stretch. And I always felt when you got into those stretches, the thing was to try and go back to the things that you do well, right? What is it that, that makes your game successful? And if you go back to those little things, it helps you kind of find your way. And mm-hmm. um, I was pretty confident that he wasn't going to go 82 games without a goal. <laughs> and, you know, try and lighten the mood a little bit with him and, and get him yeah. to relax a bit. But. You know, he's, he's such a big part of our organization uh, I mean, now and moving forward. We just want to make sure that he's doing all right. But he's, it is a good league. Uh, and it's hard to score goals uh, in the NHL, as you well know. Um, do, you, do you think, I mean, this, is, this, is, uh, th- this would make sense. Do you think he puts too much pressure on himself? I mean, he takes a lot of pride, I know, in what he does, and he's an elite-level player. Do you think that there's a squeezing it too much sometimes with Beneers? I, I think if you get to this level as an NHL player, um, you put a lot of pressure on yourself in, in any situation. And, and Maddie's no different in that regard, right? He wants to help the team win. He wants mm-hmm. to score goals. He wants to make good plays. Those are things he wants to do. He's, he's, you know, he's a leader within our locker room. So uh, when things are, aren't going well, um, you know, it's harder to be the leader. And that's part of what the challenge has been to Maddie. Continue doing the things you do as a leader and, and, and continue to work on your game. But, um, you know, we, we believe he's going to be fine in the long run. Uh, last one for you. So uh, it is the... Uh the day before the Winter Classic, what does Ron Francis do? Try and enjoy it as much as I can with my family and, and, and my team. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've got a lot of people in. All my kids are in town, and my mom and brother, everybody's here. So we're going to enjoy the day today. We've got the family skate. We're going to let uh, all our players and their families go out, and then we've got all our staff and them coming out to skate. And then we're doing a great big dinner tonight for about 300 people, all our family and players, wow. everybody in town. Um, just because it's New Year's Eve and sure. to sort of spend some time with them and then, uh, you know, sort of sit back and hopefully enjoy the game tomorrow as well. That's fantastic. Best of luck. Thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, that's Ron Francis, general manager of the Seattle Kraken. Going to get the Jack Eichel in a second. Real quick note on the Hartman situation. Confirmed this a couple of moments ago. Uh, in exchange for players agreeing to wear microphones, none of the audio that gets captured in connection, none of it can be used in connection with any disciplinary action. This is part of the agreement coming out of the lockout of 0405. So it doesn't matter what Cole Perfetti's mic picked up about what Ryan Hartman said to him and about what he was going to do to him. None of it can be used for discipline. There we go. Here's Jack Eichel of the Vegas Golden Knights from two days ago. Jack, thanks so much for joining us. So every hockey player has like a a number of boxes they want to check for the career. Drafted, first contract, first game, first goal, Stanley Cup, all these types of things, awards, all-star. Where does Winter Classic fit in in that collection of boxes for you? Well, I think when they started this tradition... What year was that? What year was that? that 2008? Yes. Around then. So I would have been, yeah, yeah, I mean, I was a young kid, and I think watching that, and obviously Crosby had just come into the league, and um, I think every young hockey player was just a huge fan of him. Uh, So I I think that tradition just continued to build each year, and you just dream about playing in one. Um, I, I have memories of being out on a pond in Winter Classic jerseys, whether it be the light blue Pens jersey 
that they wore in that Winter Classic or uh, Bruins Winter Classic uniforms. Um, so you always dream about doing it. Fortunately, I was uh, lucky enough to play uh, at City Field in, mm-hmm. in New York mm-hmm. against the Rangers uh, when I was with Buffalo. And it was a dream come true, and, and now to be able to do it again, um, you know, I feel very fortunate. It's uh, it's an incredible experience, uh, I think, for us as players. It's also an incredible experience for your families and, and the people that you have here with you. You know, we always say that the Winter Classic is a great event. Um, it's a spectacular show, um, but the game isn't at NHL levels. It's not everything is, is controlled. Things are Things are different. How different is it? And do you even mind considering it's a it's a spectacle and it's a cool thing to be like how right. how different is the ice, for example? Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely there's there's a lot of variables that go with it. Um, temperature, ice, yeah. uh, glare, the glare. Um, you have that hollow feeling underneath you a little bit because there's obviously. You know, when we play at a normal arena, it's, it's concrete yeah. below us, below the ice. Whereas when, uh, you know, when you're on the ice here, you know, I don't know what they use to put underneath on the ballpark, but I imagine it would be wood, right? Um, you know, to try and protect the field. Yeah. So there's there, there's some different variables. The, the seating's different. The fans aren't right on top of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, you know, a little bit different... Uh, Eyesight and uh, I was gonna the say, dimensions sight, feel a little bit better. Sight lines off a little sight bit. Sight lines, yeah. Sight lines are a little bit different. The dimensions feel a little different, whether they are or they aren't. Um, you know, there's there's some variables that go with it, and uh, I think you just take them yeah. for what they are. Um, you're, we're very fortunate to be playing in this game, so uh, and, and everyone's dealing with the same variables. Yeah. So uh, I think that's the best way to to put it. I bet you when you th- when you came into the NHL, you always said, "I'm going to play an outdoor game, and it's going to be Vegas against Seattle." Yeah, that was my, that was my first thought. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who would have thought, right? Who would have thought Vegas and Seattle a couple of, couple of years ago would be playing in the Winter Classic when they first started this? So yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. You know, you have the two uh, freshest franchises in the league, and um, you know, every time we come here to Seattle to play, uh, they have an incredible atmosphere. Um, you know, we feel like we have an incredible atmosphere at T-Mobile, and uh, so it, it should be uh, it should be a really cool experience for both franchises. Who do you guys hate the most? Is it the Kings, the Oilers, the Avalanche? <laughs> I don't know. The Wild, the Sharks, know. the Stars. Well, but the thing is, the, the Sharks rivalry was really hot before Jack. Really yeah. yeah, yeah. But I'm wondering, like, a, like I, I was watching guys against the Kings the other night. That was a great game to watch. Yeah. But I, but I was looking at that and saying, who do these guys hate the most? Yeah. You like, know everybody hates sure. you because you're the right. champions. Right. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Um, you know, you're smiling. I'm sure, well, you know what? I'm sure different guys on our team mm-hmm. have, would have different opinions on that, who they specifically hate the most. So, What's yours? Uh, who would I hate the most? I, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm a little newer here. It was my first playoff run, so um, these guys have a little more... Uh, Scar tissue from some of these series they've had. Okay. Yeah, it, it's a good point though too because like it seems like you get every other team's best game. Like, can, I and I talk about this on the pod all the time. Like, 
Your games against Minnesota are awesome. Your games against LA are awesome. Games against Edmonton are awesome. Yeah. Right down the list, like Dallas, Colorado. Like I can't Colorado, another great. Maybe that's the most obvious. Like that one. exhibition game was like a regular season. Game. I was gonna say that was yeah, <laughs> that exhibition game. It sure felt like a regular season game uh, at the end of the at the end of the preseason. But that that's good, you know. Yeah. Like it was, it's a competitive game. It was physical. I mean, you want those type of games. The 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 compete was high. The the skill level was high. Both teams had a lot of their you know, regular players in. Uh, I think you want those sort of games that, uh, during the preseason to try and get yourself prepared. We had a similar game at the end of the preseason with uh, with L.A. and It seems like all those t- every time we play them, Dallas, Colorado, it's always tight games. Yeah. L.A., um, you know, Edmonton. Yeah. Um, I think you see both teams really get emotionally invested in those games. Uh, last one for me, Jack. Um, the conversation around you this year in the media is look at Jack Eichel's 200 foot game is this something you're doing differently or are we just all lazy and we've only noticed this now you guys are just lazy (laughs) (laughs) no 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 um you know what I give a ton of credit to RD (laughs) they Mm -hmm. uh they definitely make us forwards look good uh the system in which we play uh I give a lot of credit to Bruce the coaching staff. Um, I think the system bodes well for our team, our centermen. Um, for me personally, learning it, uh, having the opportunity to get comfortable with it last year, and then you know try and make improvements, and then just trying to uh, focus on it more because mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's an important part of the game, and um, I, I think there's ways that. You're always trying to get better, and for me, uh, there was a long time where everyone critiqued my, I guess, play in my own zone. Um, you know, and, and you don't, you don't want weaknesses. Uh, you always want to try and find things that you can get better at. And um, for me, you know, playing in our own zone, helping our defenseman break the puck out, mm-hmm. you know, being responsible, uh, you know, building trust from the coach. I think that's all important, and um, yeah, just try to make more of a conscious effort and. You know, I think you combine a lot of those things, and uh, we get a pretty good team, and it allows me to try and, you know, be a part of that. We, we play a pretty tight defensive game for the most part, and, and I'm a benefactor of that at times, and um, I like to say I also can impact it, you know, in a positive way. This is great. Good luck tomorrow. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much it. for Thanks doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, time is not our friend, so i got to say the thank yous. Thanks to Jack Eichel, and you just heard from Ron Francis as well. Thanks to Ian Mendez, Carter Hutton, Haley Salvian, and our crew, David Siss, Andrew Adams, Jen Rolnick, and the great Matt Marchese. Merrick's show back in 22 hours. Have a great afternoon.